Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. A few months ago, uh, my son Ashley and I went to the Melbourne Museum and they had an ancient Mesopotamia display. It was really, really cool. Uh, they had some uh, cuneiform tablets, some of the first writing we have a record of. There was objects from early Canaanite uh, society as well as ancient Babylon. It's a fantastic display. I actually like museums. I've had the privilege of visiting a few of the really great museums of the world. I've been to the Louvre in Paris, also been to the British Museum in London, and also got to visit the Cairo Museum in Egypt. Lots of mummies there, really cool museum. And so I like museums, although I will admit, after about three hours, I'm kind of done ready for a coffee, eyes are starting to glaze over. Uh, One of the parts of museums I really like is the ancient civilizations. I love to go back and see some of the the really antiquated stuff. And uh, it's amazing when you look at some ancient civilizations like Egypt and China, as well as Syria and Babylon, just the extensive and magnificent objects and artifacts that we have. The Cairo Museum, not only the mummies, but all the stuff from King Tut, the gold uh, uh, throne he sat on, just remarkable objects we have from many, many thousand years ago. But if you ever go to a museum in the ancient civilization section and you start looking for things related to ancient Israel, you'll be very disappointed because we have virtually nothing from ancient Israel in our museums today. What we have is very unimpressive, maybe a little clay pot or something. In fact, for those of you who have studied archaeology, you'll know that uh, the story from Genesis right through to the end of 2 Samuel, from Adam right through to David Solomon, uh, although that story is well known, outside of the Bible, we don't have any archaeological support for any of the persons or events in those stories doesn't mean that the stories aren't true. We just don't have any evidence supporting it. Uh, even uh, Moses and Pharaoh in Exodus, it talks about a Pharaoh. We don't know which Pharaoh. But if you look at all the Egyptian records, there's no records in the Egyptian data of anyone named Moses. And there's definitely no story of a Pharaoh getting drowned in the sea. Of course, how many know if you're into PR and propaganda, you probably won't keep that story in your records? A Pharaoh being drowned in the sea, chasing a rogue leader and a few slaves probably not something you want to keep in your history. And so when it comes to Israel, we really don't have a lot of objects. I think the reason is, is because these were nomadic people. Abraham lived in a tent. He didn't build a house that we can go visit today. These were people who believed in a God that didn't dwell in a physical temple. In fact, they had this tent in the wilderness that they'd set up for a while, and then it'd be time to move on. And so we can't actually go and visit the tabernacle. It's not there anymore. They didn't build temples. They didn't even create objects to worship. They didn't even draw pictures of their God because they saw that as idolatry. And so that's one reason why we don't have any objects, any artifacts. But what we do have from ancient Israel, one artifact remains. In fact, we have so much of it, it overshadows this kind of artifact in many other ancient civilizations. And it's something called literature. Ancient Israel were a storytelling culture. They told stories, they passed on stories to their children, they wrote down stories. They were a people of the book. And we have an entire section of our Bible 
called the Old Testament, from Genesis through to Malachi, which is an impressive amount of literature telling the story of this ancient nation of Israel. Not only did this literature survive, it became authoritative and it began to guide their life. And the literature of the Old Testament has inspired believers all around the world throughout centuries. It's also inspired musicians who have written songs about these stories. It's inspired uh, artists to draw paintings of some of these stories. Some of you may have noticed that someone else is on stage with me today. And uh, this is Jess. Everyone say hi, Jess. Uh, Jess, as a little girl, uh, grew up loving art, and so she has a a bit of a hobby of painting. And so uh, Jess is part of our church. We thought over this weekend we'd get her to do a little bit of painting, and she's doing a fantastic job. Uh, This right here is a painting by someone called... A little slow there, Michelangelo. Very, very good. Michelangelo. Uh, The original of this painting was painted in the 16th century. And if you want to see the original, it's on the Sistine Chapel in Rome today amidst a whole bunch of other paintings of the literature that we're talking about. This particular picture is believed to be of the creation of Adam taken from the book of Genesis. And so Jess has painted the one hand in our first meeting today and is working beautifully on this second hand. And so this literature that has survived throughout the centuries has uh, inspired many, many people. I don't know about you, but I actually love books. In fact, I would be honest enough to admit I'd probably have a bit of an addiction to books. Uh, Fellow addicts would understand that there's a certain joy just in buying a book and putting it on your shelf. It's deeply invigorating. Even if you haven't read the other books that are on the shelf, there's just something about buying a book. And if if, if you don't like books, you just wouldn't understand. And so I love books. And you may have noticed, if you're very alert today, we've actually got a lot of books on stage. Did you notice that? In fact, just to save you some time during my message, there's 2,000 books up on stage there. And so when you go home today, if you check your shelves, there's a few books missing. We stole them. (laughs) Only kidding. Not really. Only kidding. We, we got these books, don't worry. We, we, we picked them up from op shops. In fact, we told staff to go through their office, any books they're really not using anymore, bring them in. I, I was told on Friday, shock, horror, that someone handed in one of a book that I wrote. Like, <laughs> I haven't got the name yet, but uh, I've lost a fair bit of sleep over that fact. And I'm thinking of preparing a hard-hitting sermon on honor. Anyway, so we've got all these books up here, uh, 2,000 books uh, that were put on the stage here, and you'll see some books over there at Casey and also some of Jess's artwork at Casey on display also today. Um, Did you know that every year, 300,000 new books are published? 300,000. And that doesn't include the 3 million books that are self-published every year. So uh, the the book is alive and well. (laughs) And one of the things with all these new books and new publications coming out is if we're not careful, we can uh, subtly buy into something C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. It's a great phrase. Chronological snobbery. What does that mean? Chronological snobbery is the belief that the new is better than the old. 
We live in a culture that's almost addicted to novelty. And we think if something's new, if it's a new idea, if it's a new book, that it's the latest and the greatest. And C.S. Lewis very profoundly said, just because something is old doesn't mean it's outdated or irrelevant. In fact, if it's old and it's never been disproven, it's actually timeless. It's timeless. And so with such a plethora of books filling our stage, filling our world today, clamoring for our attention. Uh, And then on top of that, all the media messages of TV and radio and Twitter and Facebook, we can sometimes lose the value of the ancient sacred text. Uh, The Apostle Paul understood this one day. He, in the first century, was writing a letter to Timothy. And in the letter, he was thinking about the books of what we call the Old Testament. This is what he said in 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 to 17. As as Paul's writing this letter, he goes, Timothy, all Scripture... Now, let's pause right there. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. It was actually in the process of being written. Paul's going, Timothy, all Scripture, all the books of the Old Testament, all the literature of ancient Israel, it's not just like a pile of books. It is inspired. Everyone say inspired. Say it a bit more inspirationally. Inspired. It's inspired. That, that word means God breathes. See these books, Paul, uh, Timothy? See these books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? These books were breathed into by God. They're inspired by God, and they're useful to teach us what is true. People want to know what's true today. Uh, th- these books contain what is true. They, they correct us when we're wrong And then they they get us back on track. They teach us to do what is right. And God can use these scriptures to prepare and to equip us as his people for every good work. And so today we're going to begin a a new series called Origins. And we're actually going to be going back to one of the oldest books ever written. It's the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis means beginnings. It's the book of beginnings. It's the beginning of our Bible. It's the beginning of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And it's actually the foundation for the entire story of redemption, of what God is doing in the world. In fact, as you get to the book of Revelation, it actually gets us back to where things began in Genesis. If you've ever read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we have God creating the heavens and the earth. There's a paradise, there's a garden, there's a, there's a, a tree there's a river, and God and humanity are in harmony and relationship. If you go to the end of the book, Revelations 21-22, we've also got a new heavens and a new earth, and we've got a garden and a city and a river and a tree, and God and humanity in harmony. And in between, how many know we've got a long detour? A long detour. But the end gets us back to the beginning. And if you miss the beginning, if you miss the foundation, if you miss your origins, then you really don't know where the story is going. Did you know that a people without a past have no future? If you don't know your roots and your heritage, then you really don't know your destiny. And so we need to make sure that we understand our origins, and that's why we're going back to the beginning. Maybe you've read the Bible many times, or maybe you're visiting and you don't even have a Bible. We'd love to give you one tonight. But often people start in Psalms, or maybe start in Matthew. It's good to go right back to the beginning. I mean, when you go see a movie, you don't want to arrive 30 minutes in. I mean, you might, you might do that for church, but... You're not going to arrive 30 minutes late to a movie. I mean, if you're like me, you want to get there early. You want to catch the shorts, the previews, what else is coming. Not the ads, but the previews. And you want to get it right from the beginning because if you come in 30 minutes late, 
you don't quite know what's going on. You've missed some of the foundational stuff. And that's why we believe it's so important for us to go back to our origins. You ever seen those rowers who sometimes are looking backwards as they're going forwards? It's kind of funny, isn't it? You know, sometimes we need to look back to get a reference to go forward. Sometimes it's in hindsight that we gain foresight for our future. And so we believe as we look back, as we go back to our origins, we're going to learn some things about God. We're going to learn some things about ourselves and His purpose for this world that are very, very important for us today. And so that's why we're doing this series on the book of Genesis. Uh, The book of Genesis, uh, particularly, we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis 1 to 11. You know, all of the book of Genesis is about origins. Uh, Chapters 1 to 11 are about the origins of the world. And they look at how the cosmos was created and how humanity came into being. Genesis 12 to 50 are about the origins of the ancient nation of Israel, starting with Abraham. And these two origins helped form a foundation of their faith to believe in the God who created the whole world and the God who was also the God of the people of Israel. And so this book of origins is where we're going to be uh, situating ourselves over the next number of weeks. We're going to be focusing particularly on Genesis 1 to 11, and there are some fascinating stories here that have uh, uh, interested people for generations. We're going to be talking about creation and Adam and Eve and and Cain and Abel and the flood and Abraham, some really well-known stories. In fact, uh, these stories uh, are talked about and are still generating interest in our culture today. This Tuesday, interestingly, there's a new TV miniseries about the Bible that's going to be aired on Channel 9 at 9 o'clock. It was shown in America recently. Millions of people watched it, and it gets people talking about the Bible. Uh, There's some new movies coming out. I hear Russell Crowe's doing a new movie on Noah. Got no idea what it's about, what it's going to be like. I hear Will Smith's doing a new movie on Cain and Abel. And Spielberg's working on a movie on Moses. So, again, don't know what they're going to be like, but it's interesting that these stories are still capturing the imagination of people today. And so we're going to be hanging in Genesis 1 to 11 for a while. And uh, there's lots of questions. There's lots of challenges as you come to Genesis. Uh, How do we understand the creation story in light of modern science? Uh, How long was the day? Was it 24 hours? Was it a long period of time? Who were the Nephilim in Genesis 6? And what about the flood? How can a loving God judge a whole humanity? And how far reaching was the flood? And what about these long genealogies? What do they mean? And who in the world was Melchizedek? They're all the kind of questions we're going to be looking at over this series called Origins. Uh, we, we encourage uh, people here at City Life, as you read your Bible, to use a simple devotional format called SOAP. Uh, SOAP is an acronym for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Uh, we want to start simply by turning to the Scriptures, reading them, listening to them. We, we then want to make some observations, ask some questions about what it meant back then, and then make some application. What is God saying to us today? And then to pray, to apply what God says into our life today. And so today's message is a little bit of an equipping message to help you get the most out of these series, but also out of your own reading of the book of Genesis. You know, someone can give you a fish every day and you'll be fed, but if someone teaches you how to fish, you can actually feed yourself for a lifetime. And so today's introduction is going to give you some keys to get the most out of this ancient sacred text of Genesis. So let's jump into the main teaching time now. Let's talk about scripture. As we come to the book of Genesis, the first question is, what kind of book is the book of Genesis. You know, the Bible really is a a storybook in many ways. It's like this grand epic narrative. But as a storybook, there are lots of genres of literature in the Bible. 
We have letters. We just read part of a letter that Paul wrote. There are songs. There are proverbs. There are prophecies. There are visions. There are uh, laws and instructions. There's a whole variety of genres. And so as we come to the book of Genesis, we come to a book that is really what we could call historical narrative. It's history. It's a story. Uh, Some people call it theological history in that it's history being written from a certain perspective. And so anytime you come to a book, knowing what kind of book it is helps affect the approach you have to that book. If I gave you a pile of books, if I gave you a dictionary and an encyclopedia and an instruction manual for your DVD player and a novel and a travel guide, how many know you'd read each of those books a little bit differently? Of course, the the instruction manual you probably wouldn't read unless things started to break down. Uh, But but every book uh, we read differently based on the nature, the genre of that book. And so as we come to the book of Genesis, we're not going to be reading laws per se. We're not reading uh, prophecy. We're reading a narrative. We're reading a story. The book of Genesis is not a scientific handbook. A lot of people would like it to be, but it's not a scientific handbook. Again, scientists uh, come to the book of Genesis and learn a lot from it, as can we, but it's not written to be a scientific handbook. It's not written to be a a series of biographies, although we're going to learn from the lives of men and women. It's, It's not written really as just a history book, because there's actually lots of gaps in the story and things that we don't quite hear about, although it contains history. It's a historical narrative. It's real history. It's not myth in the sense of legend or things that didn't take place, but it's written from a perspective. And, and the author is, is highly selective in what they include in the writing. In fact, there's a lot of things that we would love to know from Genesis that it just doesn't tell us. I'd like to know a lot more about Adam and Eve, like the very important theological question, did they have belly buttons? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? When every baby has a belly button from an umbilical cord, they weren't born, did they have belly buttons? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I'd really like to know that, but they don't tell me the answer to that question. I'd like to know when were the dinosaurs living and why don't we have them around today? Next week, I have the answer to that question. I have the scientific answer to that question. Don't miss part two. I would really like to know, is there life on other planets? Anyone else want to know that? A few of you. I mean, NASA's spending billions of dollars today to find out. With, you know, could you please? doesn't really address it. I'd really like to know where Cain and Abel got their wives from. <laughs> you ever thought about that one? There's a lot of questions that we have. I'd like to know more about Enoch. Enoch seems this really cool dude, but we don't hear much about him. Joseph, man, we could, we could do movies on Joseph's life. And so as we come to Genesis, we don't find out answers to the questions we'd all like to know. But we have to believe that the author tells us what we need to know for understanding our origins and our purpose in life. And also let me mention, as, as I talk about the, the Bible and, and Genesis particularly being a narrative, a story, it, it doesn't mean it's made up and it doesn't mean that it's kind of drifted into some myth or legend over the centuries. You know, the, the Near Eastern culture, as a storytelling culture, they so valued what's called oral tradition oral tradition, as they told stories, they would sometimes repeat them. And you'll notice in Genesis 1 and 2, there's two different versions of the creation story. And there's duplication and there's repetition throughout their stories. When they told stories, they told them in such a way that they could be understood, memorized, and then passed on accurately without any variation or error. 
It's an interesting story told a few years ago of some American evangelists going to the Middle East and doing some outreach amongst young adults. And uh, although the Middle East uh, today is a very contem- more contemporary culture, some of the uh, characteristics of storytelling and the value of it go way back to ancient Mesopotamia and those countries. And so uh, as these missionaries were working with these young adults, they were reaching out to them, but they're also having some fun doing some games with them. And the story is told of them being with about 30 to 40 young adults, and they were playing some games. And one of the Americans thought, let's play Chinese whispers. Now, that's probably not a a very good... uh, What's the word? Yeah, it's not politically correct. And I don't know what the new name is, but... uh, with love for all the Chinese today, ni hao. Um, <laughs> whispers, let's just call it whispers. I, I don't know if you remember as a kid, sometimes they would get, get you in a line and they would tell the first person kind of a, a couple of sentences with some details and some figures in them. And then they'd say, pa, whisper it on to the next person. And then whisper, uh, are you following me? And so you'd whisper it down the row. And the funniest moment was when the last, the first person would repeat what they had and the last person would repeat what came down the line. And the difference was just so funny that everyone would roll, roll in laughter. Anyway, so they're playing this game with these Middle Eastern young people. And so they start and they go right down the line. And then they have the first person tell what they heard. And then the last person says what they heard. And you know what? It was word for word. And no one laughed. <laughs> so they quickly went on to the next game. See, these people understood the value of listening to the story, of capturing the story and then passing the story on accurately so that it was preserved. Storytelling was sacred in that culture. And so we we come to the book of Genesis. We realize that it's a story. It's a narrative. Uh, We need to also ask, uh, who was the author of Genesis? Unfortunately, nowhere in the book of Genesis are we told who wrote the book, and nowhere in the rest of the Bible are we told who wrote Genesis, though many people believe it was Moses, and there's good reasons to believe that. But it's possible that Moses started the book, but through the generations, other editors or compilers added and tweaked uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we can be sure today that the book of Genesis is a unified whole with Moses as its primary author. And so that's where we start. As we come to the scripture, what kind of book is it? Who wrote this book? Let's move on to the observation area now. This is where, as we're going to be reading Genesis, as we're going to be sharing some messages on Genesis, we, we start to uh, discern the original intent of the author of Genesis. Uh, technically, this is called exegesis. Everyone say exegesis. You sound like a very good theological student now. Exegesis literally means to draw out the meaning of the text. And so our first question as we read the Bible is not, what does it mean to me today? The first question is, what did the author mean back then and there? We want to draw out the original meaning of the author. And so to help us do that, we ask a few questions like, what was the historical context of Genesis? And we know that Genesis starts with the creation of the world. It moves through to the call of Abraham, who lived in ancient Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, and then became the father of the Israelite nation. So that's, that's the time period, many thousands of years ago. And as we said, the date of compilation probably started with Moses, but may have even continued to the time of Ezra. And so these are ancient civilizations, uh, people living in a very pluralistic world where people worship many gods. And so we're going to be looking at the historical context, 
Uh, next, we also want to ask about the literary context, because it's a piece of literature, a piece of writing. Uh, we need to understand what it means. And this book of Genesis was written in ancient Hebrew, and most of us here probably don't know ancient Hebrew. Uh, thankfully, we've had some people translated into English, but uh, there's some phrases and some terms that sometimes are difficult to understand. Anyone remember first hearing Shakespeare in Old English? and going, what in the world is that? And then your teacher began to kind of help you understand what that means so you could appreciate it. You know, it's, it's that way with language today. A couple of funny examples just uh, in English. Uh, you know, someone might get up today and say, my tapeworm can almost talk by itself. Anyone get that? A, a native Indian would tell you that what that means is my stomach is grumbling. You got that, didn't you? A person from Czech might say, uh, it's like walking around hot porridge. Anyone know what that means? That literally means to beat around the bush in Czech. So you're learning some cultural things here today. A French person might say, um, oh, they have very long teeth, which means that they're very ambitious. Did you get that? Can you see that? One phrase to us doesn't mean something unless someone translates its meaning. And so as we look to the Scriptures, there are some phrases and some thoughts there from Hebrew that we need some help in understanding what they mean for us today. As we look at these narratives, these stories have a narrator, they have characters, there's a plot, there's subplot, there's dialogue, there's conflict, and then sometimes resolution. Uh, But in all these stories, God is also the ultimate character and the ultimate hero in every story. As we read the stories of Genesis, we're not looking at allegories, we're not looking for hidden meanings, we're not always being told what to do. Uh, We need to really understand what the author is trying to say. How many know when the author of Genesis tells us that Abraham lied about his wife Sarah, saying that his wife Sarah was his sister, that that's not telling us that a little white lie doesn't really matter and is a present help in time of trouble? That's not what the story is telling us. In fact, what the story is telling us is that despite our failings and and, uh, stumblings, uh, God's purpose still is outworked without justifying wrong actions. And so as we read these stories, we've got to be careful to discern what the author actually had in mind. And so that's why we read passages, not just one or two verses. We actually get a sense of what the whole is doing. You might have heard the funny story, uh, because sometimes as, as uh, uh, modern-day people, we, we can kind of see the Bible as a bit like a promise book, and we've all seen those little promise boxes where people have taken little verses here or there, and you might have heard the funny story of a new Christian just got his old King James Bible, and he's praying one morning, wanting to know, God, what's your will for my life? And so he opens up, and he goes like this, and it says, Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> no, 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 no that, that, that's not the right one. So he, he tries again, and it goes... Go and do that likewise. He goes, no, 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 that can't be right. So he tries one more time and he goes, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> How many can see if you take that kind of lucky charm approach to the Bible, you can end up with some disastrous consequences. And so we don't want to just kind of grab a verse or a phrase here. As we look at the literary context, we want to read the, 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 the background, read the, think passages, not just verses. Read the background, read the whole story. Uh, it's really important that we do that, as well as understanding what's happening right across Scripture. 
At this observation section, we're thinking of the historical background, the literary context. We also ask what the theological message is. As I said, this isn't just history. It's not just a biography. It's about God and what God's doing. And so we want to say, what is the theological message? How does Genesis describe God? We believe that the Bible is God's self-revelation. It's how He tells us about Himself. And so as we go through Genesis, we don't want to just look at what's happening at this level. We want to say, what is God really like? We find in Genesis that God is the creator and the author of all things. We find in Genesis that God is sovereign and powerful, that He brings order out of chaos. We find in Genesis that God is a community. It says, let us make man in our image. And we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the work of creation as well as the work of redemption. Uh, We see in Genesis that God is transcendent. He's outside time and space. He created everything, but He's not dependent on it. And yet at the same time, God is imminent. He's active and present in His world. Genesis doesn't describe God as this aloof watchmaker who kind of wound up the world and let the universe run and kind of drove off into the sunset. No, God's active. God's involved with His creation. In Genesis, we find that God is he's relational. He's described as walking in a garden, talking with Adam and Eve. God wants to be known, and He wants us to know Him. He's a, he's a personal and a relational God. We, we discover that, that God grieves over sin. Because sin damages us, it damages other people. God grieves and and God punishes sin. There's consequences for disobedience. We discover that God's a God of grace, a God of compassion. He's merciful. He's a God who makes covenants, a God who keeps his promises. And so as we come to Genesis, we want to uh, observe what it's telling us about God. We can also ask what it's telling us about Jesus Christ. For us today, this side of the cross, we read the Old Testament in light of Christ. In fact, in Luke 24, remember the story, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, and there's a couple of disciples there, and they were grieving over this Jesus who they thought was the Messiah. And it says here that Jesus started talking to them from Moses and all the prophets, explaining to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. What an amazing meeting that would have been as Jesus would have gone back to Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and and said that that was where I was at work. And we can see Christ at work in creating the world. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman who's going to crush the seed of the serpent. Jesus is the ark of salvation saving us from wrath. Jesus is Isaac, the only begotten son. We, We can see Jesus also in the scripture. And so that's where we start. We come to the scripture and we make some observations about what the author is trying to say, what it's telling us about God. Then we move into application. Application is where we now say, well, what does Genesis, what does this story mean for you and me here today, right here, right now? And to help us with this part of our work of, of the scriptures, we can ask about what is the cultural relevance of what I'm reading? What was cultural and only for Bible times and what is relevant for today? Uh, For instance, you'll read in Genesis 22 where God says to Abraham, take Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice. How many know that's not a command for parents today? You may have thought of doing some things to your kids when they're misbehaving, but that's not an instruction for you today. But when God says to Abraham, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people, how many know that's what God wants in your life and mine, that as we're blessed, we would bless 
others. And so we need some discernment. We're, we're probably not going to be told to build a boat to survive a flood like Noah, but we're going to be maybe called out of our comfort zone onto this adventure of faith like Abraham was. And so as we read the scriptures, we need to be thinking about what God's saying to us today. And you'll discover as we go through this series that there is so much of what God said back then that is relevant for us today. How many know you and I were created to reflect the image of God to a world around about us? You and I were created to walk in relationship with God. You and I were created to love our neighbor, to obey God's commands, to understand our origins, to have a sense of purpose, to be a blessing to our world. There's so much in Genesis that speaks to us today. And so we want to look for the cultural relevance and also the transferable principles. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but everything we need to know is right here in the scriptures. And so it's still relevant and authoritative for our lives. Again, it may not help us with every decision specifically, but the principles are there. I used the example earlier today that you may may be going out today to buy a pair of socks. There's no Bible verse that's going to tell you what color of socks to pick. I'm so sorry. There's nothing there. But if you discover those socks are made by a company where those socks are created in child labor camps somewhere in a remote part of the world, how many know that that affects your decision making? Because God's called us to be a God of justice who stands up for the poor and the underprivileged. And so we may not have specific uh, instructions on areas of life, but there are so many principles that are relevant to our life today. And then we finish with prayer. We've looked at the scripture, we've, we've made some observations, we've used our intelligence, our mind, we've thought about how this story, how this scripture applies to us. And then we come to the prayer section. What is God saying to me today? Soren Kierkegaard said, when you read God's word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me and about me. I love that. When you read the Bible, you must constantly say, it's talking to me, it's talking about me. And so as we go through these series, we want to make some observations about the stories, we'll be applying the story, but ultimately we want to hear God speaking to us today, and then for us to respond to Him. See, the Bible's a story, but it's really a love story, a God who loves us, who's interested in our lives, and is inviting us to participate in this story. And so we want to uh, respond to God, talk to him, and appropriate what he speaks to us from the scriptures. And so as we begin this series called Origins, we're having a look back so we can go forward. I want to encourage you to, to have a bit of reading of Genesis 1 to 11 for yourself. You know, uh, we'll have some great messages. Our teaching team's very excited about talking about all these ancient stories. And we're going to be doing our best every weekend to uh, give a message that's really helpful and engaging to you. But uh, there's something about reading God's Word for yourself. There's something about being self-feeding as someone who's following Christ. Uh, My son Josiah is here tonight, he's 24 now, and I can remember back when he was just a little baby boy with red curly hair, and his mother fed him first, and when he became a toddler, I used to get the job of feeding him, stick him in the high chair, get the old bottle of baby food out, uh, spoon in mouth, if it went down, success, often got spat out, had to collect it and do a second round. You know, one of, one of the great um, achievements uh, for Nicole and I's parents is that when we handed Josiah to Shelley in marriage uh, three or four years ago, he had come to the point of being self-feeding. 
you know, took a lot of, took a lot of marriage courses and, and training, but it was just so great to be able to say, Shelley, he feeds himself now. And, you know, really, as we grow in Christ, when we start out, we need someone to feed us, and we want to feed you some good meals week by week. But there's something about you learning to feed yourself. And there's something about you actually opening your Bible and you reading and God talking to you from the Scripture that's, I think, even more dynamic, more special than just listening to a great message like you are today. The other thing also is, uh, you know, using the food analogy, you could go to a restaurant today and you could get the most nutritious and delicious meal you've ever had. But how many know it's not going to last the week? In another day, if you're like me, in a couple of hours, you're going to be hungry again. And it's a great analogy because it doesn't matter how dynamic this message is, no matter how nutritious and delicious and enjoyable this message is, it's not going to last you to next week. It's not going to keep you spiritually fed throughout the week. And that's why taking time to pray and read God's Word for ourselves is so important. And so as we do this series called Origins, yeah, come every weekend, hear the messages, and let's as a community grapple with this ancient text and see what it says to, today, to us today. But I want to encourage you in your personal time to, to read Genesis 1 to 12 and, and pray and see what God speaks into your life. What a difference that can make. I love, uh, I love the picture that Jess is painting here. And isn't she doing a fantastic job? Doing a fantastic job, Jess. And I love uh, what this picture speaks to us today. From the, the creation of Adam, on the right we have implied God's hand reaching out. And on the left, we have the hand of Adam. Notice that they're almost a mirror image, implying that uh, we as humans are created in the image and the nature and the likeness of God. We are created to reflect God. And so God's reaching out to us. It's interesting that the fingers aren't touching. And the implication is that God's reaching out to us, wanting, wanting to touch us, wanting to connect with us, wanting to, to let that spark of life come into our heart and our world. And yet there's a need for us to respond, to, to, to respond to God's reach towards us. And I, I think that, that that's one of the lessons that we gain from Genesis, is that there is a God. We are not an accident going somewhere to happen. God created this world. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And right now, He's reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you, wanting to touch your life, wanting to invade and intersect what's happening in your world. And so we're hoping that through this series that there'll be many moments where God touches your life with his life and what a difference that can make. Let's pray together today. Father, thank you for our time together as we think about our world that is a cacophony of noises and sounds and messages and ideas and books galore. Lord, that we would take time to pause and look back and turn to the ancient sacred text that some people think is now old and irrelevant, and yet we believe it's inspired, it's timeless. And I pray that as we turn to the pages of Scripture, that as we read these stories, that we would not just be reading stories and narratives, but we would see you afresh. Holy Spirit, that you would quicken and bring alive these stories so that we can see God. And Father, I pray that you would be reaching out to each one of us through the Scripture, through the preaching, through our meditation. You'd be reaching out to touch us 
and to impart your life into our life today. You have begun a good work in each one of us, and you've promised to complete it. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Genesis and the Revelation. And so I pray today for each one of us over this weekend at Knox, at Casey, at Manningham, in our Chinese congregation, that every one of us would have a sense of God's hand reaching out, touching our heart, touching our life. And that we would respond to you. We would walk with you. And Lord, today would be a people who know our origins, know our roots, know our history, so that we can live today with purpose, with passion, to make a difference, to bring a blessing to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. 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 Don't miss next week for the next exciting episode of Origins. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.